Welcome to another episode of Pint with Shawnee B, episode 115. I don't know where 2019 is going at all at all. Anyway, um, just wanted another shout out to those of you who have already supported the podcast on Patreon. The address is www.patreon.com forward slash Shawnee B. The Patreon approach to podcasting is an attempt by podcasters to work out ways of self-funding their podcast. I believe there are now 660,000 podcasts out there around the world at the moment, which is crazy. For the first time in podcasting history, more Americans have listened to podcasts than have not listened to podcasts. And it is a growing phenomenon, ostensibly, I think, because people have tired of radio and tired of the wall-to-wall crap advertising on radio and tired of the sheep-dip nature of radio and tired of the general noise that all radio stations have. So podcasting is a quieter, more in-depth and more engaging way for people who are at the gym or on their daily commuter out for a walk or putting themselves to sleep or whatever. And for that reason, I think uh, we're getting an awful lot of growth. Um, Media companies have failed to understand the clear need out there for people to go deep on subjects that they're interested in. And mainstream media doesn't tend to do that. Newspapers did, but television and radio certainly don't tend to. So the podcasting juggernaut continues apace. And I have joined Patreon basically to support other podcasters and myself. The show is not free to produce by any means. I have to pay platforms and trips to meet my guests. I insist on doing uh, interviews face-to-face. So listen, any of you who haven't yet uh, subscribed and have the money, and you know, it doesn't need to be an awful lot, a buck or two a month, um, would be absolutely fantastic, and I'd really appreciate it. The website, again, is www.patreon.com forward slash Shawnee B. Today's podcast is noisy. Uh, We recorded in the Groucho Club in London uh, sometime at the end of last year. Uh, One of the glaring omissions in today's chat is it was recorded before Ole Gunnar Solskjaer took over at Manchester United. The resulting success has been amazing to behold. So I'm talking to Theo Delaney, who is a massive Spurs fan. And those friends of mine who know how much I love Man United would, would probably be a bit questioning as to why I never brought up the recent success that Manchester United have had since Solskjaer took over. I was in a depression back when I recorded this with Theo because Mourinho was still in charge. Anyway, uh, good on Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. This is coming out the week that he just turned over Paris Saint-Germain in that amazing game in Paris. Theo Delaney is a sports nut. He's a producer, director, journalist, lots of stuff, really interesting guy and very and we had a great conversation. So without further ado, don't forget to sign up to the podcast. Here's Theo Delaney. Welcome to A Pint with Shawnee B coming to you from the Groucho Club in London. It's a little bit noisy, uh, but that is the ambience of a Wednesday morning stroke afternoon in one of the trendiest little spots in Soho. I've got a very famous dynastic advertising commercials stroke filmmaker stroke Spurs supporter stroke writer stroke journalist all those things with me today his name is Theo Delaney he comes from a very famous family of creative people how are you sir 
I'm very well. This is not his first podcast. He has his own podcast, which is all about Spurs, because he's a lifelong Spurs fan. What's your podcast called? The Spurs Show. (laughs) (laughs) Are they going to win the Premier League? Probably. But soon? I think they could. Every year they're written off and not expected to be in the running. Every year they're in the running. They'll be in the running this year. Yeah, it'll happen. Tell me a bit about the Delaney thing. How come all of the Delaney's are so famous in advertising and creative industries? Uh, well, so the generation that first went into it is my father's generation. So he's the oldest of eight children. First one to get into it was the second oldest, who's Paul Delaney, known as Uncle Bonkers within the family. And he, they all lived in a council house in uh, Stanmore. Irish father. Where's Stanmore in, in North West London? North West London. Right. An Irish. Yeah, where's where's where? So, the, so he's from County Down. Down. Newry. Okay. Newry okay. is where okay. we're, is our is, yeah. is our ancestral home, if you like. And a mother who was from Liverpool. And so they were kind of working class family. Although the, they were kind of one of those families, a bit bit working class, bit bit middle class, because the, their dad, my granddad, had been to university and stuff. Anyway, he'd come over. He'd studied chemistry, and he was a bit of a scientist. He got a job at Kodak. But they had eight children, so they ended up in a council house, probably a four-bedroom council house in Stanmore. So they had this scouse mum, Irish dad, a lot of what we now call banter going on in the house constantly. (laughs) But Paul ended up going out with this girl whose dad worked in advertising and said, you should come and I can get you a job in advertising. So he started as an account man, ended up as creative. He got his brother Tim in, but he and then Tim did really well. Then my dad, he did other things. like they, they Together they had a rock and roll club in the early 60s. They claim it's the first rock and roll club in London. The Kings played there, the Moody Blues and the Who and people like that. Then he goes into the theatre. Ended up a stage manager. Apparently the youngest stage manager there ever was or something like that. Then he ended up a film extra. But when he became a film extra, he became very politically aware and became extremely left-wing. And he he set up a kind of breakaway group, very left-wing group from the film extras union and fell in with the Red Graves and the Workers' Revolutionary Party. Then we went to live on a council estate because we were so skinned. Started getting bits of freelance work from his brothers and that's how he got into advertising. So he got into it a lot later. So there's the three of them. Then one, then the fourth brother who did go to university comes out, Greg Delaney, comes out, gets in, then, my other, then his other brother. And then so it, it happened like that and then I'm the next generation. I'm the oldest of the next generation. Yeah. So what, what else was I going to do? Not as much as you might expect. They, were, right. they all had their own agencies at one yeah. point. I mean, there was yeah. Ligus Delaney and there was Fletcher Shelton Delaney and there was Delaney and Delaney and there were various other yeah. iterations. Yeah. It's funny that there is no other family like that. It's weird, no, isn't not it? quite, no. Yeah. And then, of course, all the next generation got into it. So me and my yeah. brothers got into it, my cousins. And so for Christmas dinners were all, did you see that? Ad? Yeah, I did that. A little bit. Well, some people were more obsessed than others. You'd get some people who really just wanted to get away from it, didn't talk about it at all. But then yeah. you'd go into a room in whoever's house it was, and you'd find the real hardcore just sitting there, their old DNA annuals. Yeah. Yeah. you think... Come on, it's Christmas. Which one did the Abbey endings, Tim? No, that wasn't us. That wasn't us. That oh. was Tim Mellis with Tim Mellis. Um, sorry, yeah, yeah, So Tony Kay um, is the, is another person who looms large in yeah. your life. You yeah. started as a journalist. Yeah. You met him, and he was the guy who sparked the seed of directing, right? And you're kind of. Well, I started actually as a runner. I didn't know anything about film or anything like that. I got a job by accident as a runner when I was eighteen, stoned out of my mind. And my aunt said, "We're setting up production. Get a job as a runner." 
quickly. So a runner is the dog's body who goes just runs yeah. and does every errand yeah. on the shoes. Yeah. And within weeks, I get the idea of this industry, which I knew nothing about before, and I got this idea of this star system of all these incredible directors, and I became fascinated. I was already obsessed with football and music, and it became a third obsession, and then so yeah. much so that within a year, I was writing articles for the trade press. Yeah. So my the two careers were going in parallel. The production, so I worked my way up from runner to production system, but I was also writing these articles, and then I quickly realised, as did everyone else around me, that I was absolutely useless at film production, rubbish. No, no, I couldn't concentrate on the detail of nuts and bolts and mm. the money and all that. So I ended up focusing on the writing for a while. Became the news editor of a magazine called Direction, which was a fantastic monthly glossy that did advertising and design and photography and stuff. Met Tony Kay, who had come from nowhere, had been a laughing stock, mm. and just at the time I interviewed him I did a cover profile of him he'd suddenly gone from zero to hero he'd yeah. made two ads within the space of weeks which were like two of the greatest ads anyone had ever seen yeah, one was the intercity relax relax relaxez-vous yeah. and the other one was um, the Cold, furry friends furry for, friends, for yeah, the solid so advisor just for those who don't know Tony Kay is there'll be a link to some of these ads that we're talking about in the blur of the podcast he was if there, if there was ever probably a person who defined the term enfant terrible it would be probably him um, yeah. where did he come from well, he'd grown up in kind of humble background in North London. We had a terrible stammer. He was kind of dyslexic, but he got somehow got to art school. When he got to art school, suddenly something clicked in him. He thought, I found something I want to do. And he was good at design and, and being an art director. Yeah. And he was incredibly determined. He had this amazing drive. And he ended up getting a job as an art director. And he worked at CDP, one of the great agencies yeah. of the era. And he was known as a... Uh, as a you know a complete one-off he was so determined but he seemed he had this kind of childlike thing about him where he was you know always stuttering and but he's just so incredibly determined and then he'd, he'd done some good press ads and print ads but he'd never even really done a commercial when he suddenly decided I have to be a director yeah. and there's all sorts of theories why he, he just felt completely convinced he had to be a director but he had no credentials for it even fewer credentials than most people who come out of that agencies to be a director yes. you know? and so for a while he really struggled but he did crazy things like he threw all those leaflets off the top of um, yeah. Saatchi's building in Charlotte Street proclaiming himself as the greatest director ever yeah. he took a full page ad in the London Evening Standard big newspaper very expensive thing to do which yeah. just said Tony Kay is the greatest British film director since Alfred Hitchcock <laughs> he did crazy shit like that actually one of my if I had to pick my top five favourite ads one of his would be in there which is the and it was so audacious I love it and it was in hindsight way out of his time which was the Dunlop Tires yeah. tester for the unexpected yeah. which was just just this, insane yeah again anyone listening have a look at the link to the app but just the sheer you know the piano coming off the cliff yeah. just all those just crazy everything yeah, in yeah, there. Yeah, just yeah, anything yeah. you could think of we put it in yeah. colourised it no one had ever colourised an no. app before yeah, in that yeah. way yeah. the casting which was always his big thing was insane Inside, yeah the big fat guy it was guy, just yeah. like, it was like it was basically like a hallucinogenic trip it was that's what the For app was, was like yeah. I mean it would have been radical as a pop video exactly or you know yeah. but yeah it really worked because how it did you out. bump into him then so, so basically I what happened was I'm sitting in the office I'm I'm on this magazine I'm the news editor my special and I really was a specialist was commercials and commercial production as opposed mm. to all the print stuff and the editor comes in one day he was a brilliant bloke he's still around Paul Quarry and he took he took, he basically taught me how to write properly before that I was winging it and he came and he said everyone's talking about this ad one Monday morning have you seen it over the weekend I said what ad he said for British Rail it's incredible it is like everyone's talking about it. it's like the greatest thing you've ever it's like nothing you've ever seen and I said I don't know what you're talking about he said you're supposed to be in charge of this stuff 
and you don't even know. I said, how did you about it? He said, find out who did it, for Christ's sake. Yeah. So I started speculating all the usual names. And, started and of course, this is pre-internet, so you couldn't just oh, yeah, go yeah, yeah. online no and way. see it. You had, you had to, to make some curious phone calls yeah. on landlines. Yeah, there were no yeah, mobile. Yeah. And incredibly annoyingly, he got to the answer before me, and he said, it's Tony Kay. And I said, Tony Kay, don't be stupid. He's a complete laugh. He said, there's no way he's going to even be given a job like that, let alone do the great... By, by the way, I haven't seen it yet. I can't dial it yeah. up. I'm yeah. only getting this. Yeah. It turned out it was Tony Kay. This extraordinary thing where he'd gone from you know, complete laughing stock to making this unbelievable groundbreaking act. So the ad we're talking about is a black and white Louis Armstrong track. Animated chess pieces are, are yawning and falling asleep and business shoes are turning into slippers. And it's just showing a you know the relaxing idea of a train journey versus a car journey. Yeah. And it's very beautifully done. Literally like nothing else you'd yeah. ever seen anywhere, let alone in And the also ad highly inaccurate because British Rail oh totally that was one of the great things about <laughs> yeah. it. it made British Rail look like an absolute a day in, a, in the best spa in the world when it was, in fact everyone knew that the yeah. train was always late and you couldn't get a seat yeah. and the sandwiches yeah. were curled up you know mind you I, you would so, you would sort of say that trains have it moved was, towards that now. yeah you know they're today they're clean they're nice yeah. and they're not yeah. screwed up the way they were just so, not at the time yeah exactly exactly so I'm thinking Christ I need to go and see this guy and before you know it the other one's come out the solid fuel one which has got a dog and a cat yeah. and a mouse arriving in front of a beautiful coal fire and giving each other a kiss yeah. to the soundtrack Shot of, in the um, camera. Will You Still Love Me Tomorrow? All done in the camera, yeah. I know that they dip the mouse in cat piss or something. <laughs> There's so many yeah. rumors about that. Yeah. If you ask Tony at the time, which obviously I did, he said it, God did it. That's all he, that's all he had yeah. to say about it. He felt like he'd struggled so long that God had done him a turn to make it work, yeah. basically. So I said, right, right, Tony Kay, okay, I've got to go and see him. And before, before I knew it, I'm doing a massive profile of him and putting him on the front cover of the magazine, which is great. But we hit it off. We're both Tottenham fans, that helped. And we had the same enthusiasms, basically, football and appetite. I was well into it at the time. I was so in. And so we really hit it off. And there were so many stories and lots of, not all of them complimentary about him, you know, that you could get from people and everything. And so it was one of those pieces... It wrote itself. It was so exciting to write. There was yeah. so much material, yeah, even yeah. without the interview. And the interview was compelling as well. Put it on the front cover of the magazine. But I thought he might not like it because I put all the water. It was warts and all, you know. Yeah. And uh, he called me up. I said that he'd waited from like 6 a.m. outside the big magazine shop over here in Old Compton Street, waiting for the magazine to arrive. As soon as it opened, he was through the door, picked one up, read it. He said, I read it. I read it again. And then I bought every magazine. <laughs> He said, and then I took it to my, um, that night, there was a family party where all his uncles and aunts and cousins were, and he said he stood at the front door of the party and handed them out as the people arrived. Wow. He was so pleased, he thought like, he'd, this is it, this is what I've always dreamed of, made yeah. the two ads, now I'm on the cover of the magazine, yeah. it says I'm great, I'm brilliant at what yeah. I'm doing. So, of course, that was like... So we were, sort of a childlike quality to him, as you said. Totally. Yeah. That, yeah. Was the, that was almost the overriding characteristic. Which came to a head when you came to leave. It's gone, but how did you join? So you joined... So basically, we, got, we became friends, and we yeah. did, within no time, as far as you can be a friend. He yeah. always said, I don't have friends, because right. I'm, too, I'm too focused on the work. But yeah. as far as you could be his friend, I was his friend. I mean, you know, we could spend hours on this. One story leads to another. He, he, said, he phones me out one day and says, I want to have lunch with you, I've got something to talk to you about. He says, I want you to write my film and I say what, what film feature film I want you to write it why do you want me to write it you're the best writer I know I think you're brilliant. this is on the basis that I've written an article yeah. about him that he yeah. likes so I said right and I'm thinking this is nonsense you know and then he said you've got to take this seriously so he got his checkbook out and wrote me a check for £500 now at the time to me that was a hell of a lot of money I'm yeah. thinking bloody hell he's yeah. serious I said, what's the film about? He said, we'll have another meeting. I'll tell you what it's about. So we had another meeting. And I said, well, come on, what's it about? I said, the film, it's a, it's a brilliant idea. This is it. 
the film is about my life. It's <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> like no a biopic. It's a biopic. <laughs> yeah. Did you do it? Well, I started it, but it, I mean, you can't describe the chaos of being around Tony. I mean, well, of course, he, he eventually broke into Hollywood and yeah. made an absolutely fantastic movie called American History X, yeah. which he walked away from. Yeah, disowned. Uh, and then Edward Reclaimed Norton, the actor, had to take up the reins and finish it, yeah. and it was all a storm out. And he, you know, he he is a tantrum thrower of the highest order, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, that's just one small aspect of it. Yeah. It's very complicated and highly entertaining and compelling personality is amazing so you tried to do his movie and then you started working with him well what happened was eventually I thought I need to get I don't want to be a full time journalist anymore I loved being a journalist but people had started to say to me you should should be a director Mm. again based on nothing I'd I'd done a stint someone said I should be a director once upon a time and I was like yeah around that time they were looking for people who seemed like they were a bit different or a bit bright because they were looking for directors it's complete opposite now so many directors it's unbelievable you trip over them as you walk through so well you said in 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 an interview I was reading over the weekend that when you first started directing it was like you were riding a bronco yeah i, I like that analogy yeah and then, it was like and, and the jobs go by and you start learning and eventually you tame it and yeah. yeah and eventually well, you tame exactly. it and what better guy to <laughs> ride a bronco with than tony k well he'd been doing it yeah this is exactly what he did of yeah. course and eventually he tamed the horse and then he, he became one of the world's great horsemen yeah. you know so that's what i did yeah because i didn't know what i was doing i hadn't been to film school i didn't know any of the basics of uh, film at all but basically what happened i left the magazine i wanted to get into other things i wanted to write his film i wanted to write other stuff i wanted to i wanted to do freelance writing but i also was was you know i was tempted by these people who one or two people who said you, you you should be a director maybe you come and direct with us and i said i said to tony look a couple of people have said i should direct and he said that's it yeah that's it oh genius 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 you can direct i said i'm leaving the magazine to go freelance he said take a desk at my office so I took a desk turned up he's not there he was no, more often than not not there all these people in this office don't know who the hell I am they're not expecting me they don't who the hell are you he hadn't told them did a day there in, halfway through the afternoon there was, a, there was a young girl there about my age who came up and said are you busy at the moment her name was Patricia Murphy I said yeah kind of busy got a few things on she said oh don't worry then and I said well, what do you mean what, what do you mean she said oh it's just that Tony said you'd be my producer I said there must be a mistake I'm not a producer no no there must be so she said okay so I left the office in the evening and walked, uh, walked down the street and there's Tony walking out the other way and he went oh how did you get oh is it alright I said yes fine thank you very much got the desk I said apart from somebody said to me in the afternoon Patricia said that you'd said hi Peter our producer must have got me mixed up and he went you don't mind that you don't mind that do you and I went well, yeah but Tony I'm not a producer I don't know what to I've never been a producer mm. and he said don't worry about that all, all they do producers all they do is lie <laughs> I said, what do you mean? He said, That's, that is all they do. You, you can lie, can't you? And I, yeah. I just went, I, uh, I, I suppose so. So he basically wanted me to be a producer for this young girl who had zero experience as well that he'd met because she worked in Comedy Garson where he went to buy his clothes. Yeah. She wanted to be a director. He told me, if I'm her producer, because I had contacts in the business, it would all work out. Yeah. So I did that for a little while. But the understanding was that I'd do that for a little while and then I'd get a chance to be a director. That's how it worked. Yeah. And so you worked with him for a couple of years doing... I worked with him for a while trying to get going got a couple of little jobs and then he fell in love with a model from Romania who he gave the company to run so you've got me directing I don't know what I'm doing you've got Patricia directing doesn't know what she's doing I get this job in from an agency she keeps quoting it at like five times what it should be and the agency says that if you don't leave that company you can't get you, you won't be able to do that job so I leave the company but they said but don't tell Tony because we don't want him to know that we've told you that 
So I leave the company. I say, Tony, I'm leaving. Tony hits the fucking roof. He starts saying stuff like, you were nothing when I met you. <laughs> I made the BBC. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and he would he pursued, because he's so determined. Like Patricia said to me at the time, he, he, to him, everything's a war. And that was one of his catchphrases. He used to say to us, it's war. It's yes. war. He didn't follow it up. There was no context. Yes. He just said that. Thank God. Yeah. <laughs> and he phoned up my mother at home. And there we go. A number. He's very worried about Theo. He's going to Spots films. They only, they're only interested in the money. He's being exploited. My mum is really worried. He went up to my dad in the restaurant, did the same speech. But I left and he said, and uh, he vowed never to speak to me again. And I think it's now, let me think, it must be like 27 years. You've met him a few times and he just I've met him you. to the extent where once I went to the mill doing my post-production across a corridor, which was another open door. He's sitting in another post-production. So I look around, there he is, it's Tony. So I'm like... Tony and he looks around and sees it's me no he didn't even do that he was parallel he, looked, he saw it as me then he looked straight ahead at his monitor and pretended he couldn't hear me or anything so I went up to him I walked right up to him so I was inches away but Tony hello and he was rigid he would not look around Tony if you're listening to this mate this is Sean from Ireland give old Theo a call go for a pint the life's too short yeah. What is he doing now, actually? Well... Because he, he has gone. He has gone quiet. Yeah, he, you always think he's gone quiet, and then something happens. He, he's, made, he's made a few films, and he, he made an ad a couple of years ago that was very him that came over. Like, oh, was that one? It was for sausages. It was for this black guy who had been a Tory candidate and now had a farm somewhere in the southwest and had hired him to make this commercial and the commercial was like two three minutes long right and right. it was classic i'll have a look tony. and see if i can stick well it, it went out once because they thought well, tony, i can just hear tony saying this is what we'll do it's yeah. genius we'll just buy one we we'll use all the money to buy one slot it'll be like yeah. three minutes long yeah, yeah, yeah. and no one everyone will go mad for it things like Does, he's still the world doing, doesn't work that way he's anymore still doing all the, the the similar stuff i think he's always got films in, in development every now and then you pick up a proper newspaper broadsheet or something there'll be a big profile yeah, of him yeah. you know he's because also he's famous a, for great copy to, he wanted to do a poo in a museum once didn't he uh, yeah i've forgotten that one he's such a take anyway so you ended up through that sort of not chance but through that kind of as ever odd way becoming yeah. a director yeah. you made hundreds of commercials yeah. award-winning commercials across the board around the world yeah. you then got into content um, which is yeah. a kind of I don't know industry expression for things that aren't TV ads I suppose but yeah, um, still made for clients yeah, yeah and uh, that's that's your company called Watchable yeah why is it that we don't have British Rail style ads Dunlop style ads why, why don't we ever see those ads that you wish you'd made anymore because we funny, don't uh, you know I kind of stopped analysing it very much because I'm just so slightly exasperated by it but also at the end of the day it's advertising so you, you shouldn't lose too much sleep yeah. I think about that stuff but just recently there's been an ad on for Audi Audi made fabulous ads for so many years no that was quite that good was that was good, good. Yeah. but sorry, they're still making good ad, sorry, yeah, yeah that was a good ad but no but there's an ad on at the moment for about them they've just made an electric car and it is it's such a terrible ad they basically got it's like they've given up they've got it's the brief in the form of a television yeah. commercial. Mm, so yeah, yeah, exactly. Especially car. But, yeah. but what's depressing about it is that it's Audi. Audi, when I was a kid, was a really niche, unusual little brand. And thanks to Bart Bogle Hegarty and brilliant marketing people at Audi, mm. it's a brilliant brand and, and they have great products, but it's the advertising that did it. The Uppy one would probably be one of my favourite yeah. ads as well. I mean, there's know? endless great examples. Yeah. Going right back to Vorsprung der yeah, Technik. Yeah. As they say Germans in get. Germany. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it's just brilliant. And yeah. so brilliant because they created a brand and everything that advertising is supposed to be about. And now they make really 
chunky. They still Not say Vorsprung Dirk technically, but in a very insipid oh. way. And the other thing I walked past the other day, because I was walking down the street and there was a bus shelter out. Really boring shot of a bar. And there's a girl holding a pint glass and you just see the ESS of Guinness. No, oh, I've written about this. What, with the together? I've actually written an article about Where it says together. Yes. Yeah. And I think... Well, I'll send it to you, yeah. I did a whole piece on that. Really? That's like, such a coincidence. Because I'm thinking, yeah. oh my How God. How shit is that? Yeah. I'm thinking, oh my God, that's Guinness. That was made by the Irish ad agency, and it is It's running terrible. all over the yeah, place. I know. And I'm thinking, that's Guinness. That's the best they can do, yeah. That is Guinness. All yeah. those great ads. That's hilarious. They made, they made great ads for decades, yeah. right back to the 40s and yeah. the 30s. That's and hilarious. they're doing that. That ad could be... That's that's pathetic. That's mm. the sort of ad that the first-year ad student does and gets bollocks. And the reason why it's shocking is because, like Audi, it's a niche brand. It has to be niche. Yeah, you yeah. have to make it special. Yeah. You have to make it esoteric yeah. and, and, and aspirational. The yeah. minute you try and do something like that, you're dead. Because yeah, nobody, yeah. nobody tries Guinness because they, they think they might like the taste. No, They're no. doing it for other reasons. You know? I think that there's something more sinister or something afoot where it's almost like... It's become the algorithm. Advertising has become yeah. the algorithm. Yeah. And it doesn't matter what is being stuck into the tube that goes into the algorithm, yeah. as long as the algorithm delivers to your phone and my phone or yeah. whatever. Whereas before, Programmatic before there was a real understanding that if, you, if you're going to spend 100 bucks on advertising and you make something really out there or touching or really emotive, you'll get 130 or 140 bucks worth of value. Right. Yeah. Um, and now I'd say you're putting the hundred in, and you're getting sixty. You know. Yeah. But I think yeah. it's because uh, also advertising. It's a massive industry. It's like mm. and it's like a big manufacturing industry. It's yeah. become commoditized. And it's full of people not taking risks. Yeah. Who yeah. is not worth their while to take risks? I think. It's well, they, I mean, they do say. I mean, that some people you know say, oh, you know, you were. were we're just two old fellas saying the good yeah. old days of advertising. But I, I was analysing this very thought, and I said, no, just as a consumer of media, yeah. in the 90s and 80s, there would always be about five or six things like, I wish I did that, wish I did that. Yeah, Everything yeah. else Absolutely. was also it was shit still, then. Still nearly all shit, but... but there's none of those even. No. There isn't even the top 1% yeah. anymore. So. Yeah. so so partly people aren't taking risks. Also, all the money's been sucked up, like in every single business, like, like in the way the whole world is. All the money's been sucked up for shareholders the value and all yeah, that. so yeah. spending less money on ads because the shareholders want it in the bloody pension funds and everything what do you say to a kid who wants to get into directing today well it, to get into directing to that thing that analogy that I drew about getting on the, the bucking horse yeah, and holding good, on yeah. you don't need to do that so much yeah. now because there are it's so accessible yes. filmmakers so there's mm. endless online resources cameras are cheap editing software is, is more or less free I mean people do come and see me kids come a kid come and see me you know, a couple of weeks ago, and I think the thing you've got to do is start making yeah. films yeah. because you can. There's no reason phones. not to. Yeah. yeah, you can make perfectly good films. Mm. I mean, you use your phone, use your, your bit of software that you've on your phone or on your phone, and just make films. Also, many, many more film courses now. In those days, there were two film schools, and that's it. But now, all the art schools and polytechnics and universities, they do film courses, a lot of them do good film courses. So, you either do a film course or do your own film course by learning on the job so that when you turn up to be a runner, You'll have some credentials. You'll be able to help them out with their editing, and their, you'll have an idea about how cameras work and stuff like that. And it's still a brilliant thing. I mean, there's more film than ever. There's more demand yeah. for film than ever. But yeah. I tell you, the difference, the big difference is in those days when I got into commercials, commercials was the thing to be in mm. because 
much bigger budgets and commercials. Yeah, money in it. We were filming in commercials with the same equipment and the same crews as we're making the big feature films. So I was working as a when I was a runner, the cameraman might have just gone out of Africa. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they, that's what they were. They were the top, top guys, yeah. and we were using the same cameras and the same lenses and the same frames, etc. Et that's right. You don't see the big British Airways. No. You know, you don't see no. those big budget now, blockbusters anymore. It's not as sexy to get into. I, mean, I remember having a stupid conversation with the blokes working in television and me going on about working in ads, and this guy lost. I must have been just being a tosser because the guy eventually suddenly turned to me and went, "I'm sick of listening to this shit. Just because you're in ads and I'm only in television, you think you're you're like the big." We'd be the opposite conversation now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because now all the best work's being done and the interest in what's been done in television and films and commercials are poor relation, which is what it should have been in the first place, really. Did you want to make a feature or have you made a feature? I made a short film at the turn of the century and it went down well and it played the festivals, won some awards and I got the call that you get if you make a good successful short film from working title. They said, come in. They wanted to have a relationship where anything I was developing, they, they got to see first. And so you get into that. We had a new, at that time, a new production company, Hotspur and Agal. But what happened was I didn't have the sufficient emotional uh, stamina to go through the old development hell cliche. Pay someone to be your development person. You pay someone to be a writer. Yeah. You do a draft. You take it to the people at Working Title or whatever. And they say, no, you want to make it more like this. And then you do it again in another six months. And then occasionally someone says, oh, yeah, well, I think we've got the money for this. We're very close. And then it, it then turns out you're not. All commercial directors like me will be familiar with all this story. Yeah. Some, most end up not making one. One or two end up making one. And it's just not even a hit or anything. And they, they really, I still, I mean, I admire them enormously mm. for doing it. Just occasionally, someone breaks through, like Jonathan Glazer, obviously. Yeah. Was a, was I mean, I made a movie in, 19, in 2003. Really? Produced it, script edited, acted in it, and it was wow. the long lunch. But I said to the director, who was my, a colleague of mine, Tony Redman, let's make the feed. He'd written a whole bunch of scripts, and I said, yeah. let's just pick one and make it because we'll fail quicker. And he went, what? Yeah. I said, well, everyone fails, but let's yeah. go and do it. Yeah. And it was a proper shot on on sixteen mil, and it was car crashes and yeah. anal sex and bad language, <laughs> everything. Uh, it, it, was a, it, was, it was a heist gone wrong movie. It's called The Long Lunch. A trailer of it online. I haven't been able to see whether it went online, but yeah. great to do. Uh, as I said, I put maybe you know fifty grand into it or yeah. whatever. But you, you know, you just could have bought a speedboat. But yeah. I, you know, I bought a, I, I did a movie with this guy, and yeah. you know. It, we went through all of the, the, the turmoil and, and, and whatnot, but I'm proud of it. It's a good yeah, thing to have done. Yeah, a great thing to have done. Yeah, yeah. but um, gee, it's hard. You it's know. really hard. And, um, I, and I, so what I realised was that I really wanted to do a movie, but I wasn't desperate to do a movie at all costs. Yeah, and yeah. I think you've got to be that to get it done. That's why I didn't do I was also toying with opening up my own ad agency, and I just I don't like it enough yeah. to do it. Exactly. So away from the ad movie business, what's your view on uh, where we're at in the world today? Brexit, well, it's, it's very extremely <laughs> depressing. You wake up every day and you think, I can't believe this has happened. Well, Brexit's a, a big, big disaster. Basically, you still it's have like the bad socialist streak yeah, right I'm a, you, I, am so. a, I am of the left. We're all yeah. of the left in our family and yeah. always have been. My dad ended up, in fact, he was very far left and then he ended up more like in the mainstream left and was actually instrumental in the advent of New Labour and everything like that. Okay. He became Kinnock's ad man and, and Gordon Brown's right hand man mm-hmm. and all that. I despair, yeah, that basically the right one. When, when the um, Soviet Union collapsed, and nobody was a fan of the Soviet Union, God knows, but it was like the argument was lost, and there, there's been rampant capitalism ever since, and the uh, consequences are all too clear. 
and people suffer everywhere and, and things like stupid things that don't really matter like the demise of creative advertising are also a result of that because all the money's been sucked upwards to the people who own the shares and who just you know want to get richer and it's everywhere and Brexit's part of that and Trump's part of that and the neoliberal thing is, is it's some of the arguments though when you try and debate and I, I you know the, the, you know the, the obvious one is well we, we'll all end up eating a bowl with a bowl of rice if we all you know if we reduce yeah. equality is that what yeah. you want or preposterous yeah, yeah. we, we, we don't want socialism because yeah. we tried that and yeah, millions yeah. of people died all over the world yeah, yeah. and it's not about that it's like a newism yeah. is what we need. Yeah. we need we need capitalists to stop just splurging and looking at you know there's nothing wrong with capitalism per se yeah, there's nothing exactly. wrong with private enterprise yeah, God yeah. knows I mean yeah, yeah. we don't we don't want nationalised you know nail yeah. parlours and, and yeah. corner shops and stuff yeah. do we but, no. but it just needs to be regulated yeah. and that's always been the way everyone wants a mixed economy yeah. there's always been mixed economies wherever you go it's about this question of what the mix is but most crucially how you regulate it and yeah. how, you, how you redistribute and just and create a safety net and, we're, and we're, we now look back to the mid 90s and it looks like a golden age in this country you just think, there's, wow. there's another thing here though which is that probably the worst offenders are people who have come from nothing and what I mean by that is the people who have pulled themselves up by their bootstraps yeah. to become very wealthy. They're the ones who don't seem to get the fact yeah. that not everyone can, can do, do that. that. Yeah. And they, they sort of go, well, I did well, it. I did it. Yeah. Why don't you? All you got yeah. to do is apply yourself. And if you're but Also, what's interesting about that, they say that as if everyone could and should do it. Yeah. So where does that leave? Well, how many nurses are we going to end up with yeah. if everyone's going around trying to get rich? Yeah. How yeah. many nurses? Yeah. How many policemen? Yeah. What are you going to say to an underpaid policeman or a nurse? Yeah. Well, I got rich by going out and starting businesses yeah. and being ruthless and single-minded yeah. and energetic and ambitious. Yeah. You're just a nurse. Yeah. What, what, what happens when you have your heart attack? Yeah. There was a great story about Kerry Packer when I was living in Australia where he, he had a very bad heart attack and he was rushed to Vincent's Hospital in Sydney and there was an Irish nurse there. There was no doctor and he was going and she no one would do the fucking defib on, on, yeah. on him. And so she stepped in and she fucking pumped him back to life. Right. Fucking broke every rule and the fucking... Yeah. No nurse should even touch that yeah. fucking machine. Yeah. So anyway, Packer uh, came to and heard the story and wanted to meet this nurse. And she was from Ireland. She, was, she ended up marrying a friend of mine. He said uh, to her, I want you to become my private doctor or my private nurse. <laughs> yeah. He said, like, what are you on? And she's yeah. like, 30,000. Well, I'm, you're on 130,000. You're going to be flying everywhere. And she went happy day. So she left the nurse and she became his private nurse. Right. And she'd go off in the fucking Learjet and yeah. she'd make sure he took his pills and yeah. she was there. And he, in fairness to Packer, he made sure every ambulance in Sydney had a defib unit. Okay. They became known as Packer Whackers. Well. Right. Um, and a deeply Trumpish, unpleasant kind of guy. Yeah, but anyway, and, and she's going around the world to casinos. Yeah. And, he, and she, he, she'd be given five grand when he'd arrive at a casino. And he would instruct her to just go and play. And if whatever you win, you win. But don't keep it. Yeah. Play. Because he wanted his staff to be seen to be playing in the casino right. while he went to the high rolling table. Anyway, I think she did it for a couple of years. She came to leave. And a bit like you and, and uh, Mr. Totally. K yeah. walked in and she was going to get married to a guy in Ireland. He said, no, you're not, you're not allowed to leave. I'm increasing your salary to 200, 200, 250. She's going, no, it's not about the money. I want to yeah. go back. Okay, who is this guy? Yeah. Okay, I'm going to buy him a practice in Dublin. No, you, you know, yeah. He was like Mr. Burns, reaching yeah. for, the, for the safe. Yeah. You know? <laughs> he didn't think there was anything he could yeah, do with the money. Exactly. And, and you know, the, this, is the, this is the thing where nursing is a vocation. This yeah. idea that you help other people. Yeah. This idea that people need help. Yeah. And that the people who... They don't get 
get it. Those no. people. I think people like Buffett, and some of them do. Yeah. And they, you know, they've done they've done good things. Yeah. You know, there is the Pinker approach to life, which is that we we are living in the best of times. The thing is, we are living in the best. There's so many reasons to, to think that, and poverty is an all-time world poverty, world starvation. All those things are improving. Medical science yeah. improves, and communication improves. But you feel like right now it's going backwards. Uh, what's worrying is this march of right-wing populism is, uh, doesn't look like it's being repelled very well at the no. moment. That's the worry. The idea of aggressive leftism as well is a problem, which is... Yeah, you know, I don't think that will help either. So, what do you say to your younger self, last question, when if you could go back and speak to that runner or even younger? I think what I did was, I, came, I had no qualifications, I had, no, I had a few contacts, and I just kept going and just, just kept, kept going, and I think... I wouldn't change that. That's what got me through. You know, I had a certain amount of self-belief. Always believe in yourself. Always keep going. It's a bit the obvious, trite things yeah. to say, but it's, yeah, yeah. those are the things that get you get you there. But oh, I would, probably what I'd say is try to study a little bit more. Because I learned on the job, and I probably could have read a few more books about yeah. directing instead of watching football all the time. <laughs> and what year are Spurs going to win the Premier League? It's imminent. I feel it's imminent. Don't laugh. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. You know, it could go. Out. We could be on the on the brink of disaster with this new stadium and all the money going out of it and Pochettino you know anything could happen at the end of the season Pochettino could go to Real Madrid we get a crap manager in we haven't got any money to buy players the next thing you know in the bottom third of the table hoping not to go down with this great white elephant of a stadium but I don't on the think other hand, on the other hand Pochettino is the, one of the best managers yes, there is in the world yeah. we have a fantastic squad of players yeah. I mean there's talk of Spurs you know, of money coming in of American owners coming in and stuff like that and that might be the thing that, that yeah. along with the Tip new stadium yeah. puts on the same level financially with because we're well punching about our weight all the yeah. other big the other five teams in the big six have got way more money than us but yeah. if we get the same money with that manager and the core of that squad we'll easily win the league they remind me of when I used to, when I started supporting United in the 70s and 80s they break your heart yeah. they play good football yeah. they're trying yeah. they let you down yeah. they do a Spurs yeah. but that's what supporting a club is all Absolutely, about yeah. you know? I and, love those and United teams. I prefer if United Doppity were getting yeah. Teams, yeah. I prefer if we were getting stuffed 4-5-1 but still playing great football yeah. Pierre Delaney thanks for being on a pint for joining me sorry pleasure. for all the noise folks uh, we'll hopefully fix that in the edit but uh, look after yourself keep making keep making great work and uh Jesus Christ. <laughs> Why didn't you put this in? Yeah. Keep, keep making great work. Who's supporting Spurs? And thanks a million for being on the show. Thank you, Sean. Enjoyed it. Yeah, cheers. That was. Oh,